0: Hello and welcome back to Interface.
1: This is the monthly podcast, especially for education professionals, all about the digital world.
0: If you're an educator, we're here to help you support the children and young people around you, so you can play a part in keeping them safe, confident and happy in all that they do online.
1: In this episode, we're going to be talking about pornography. What impact does it have on young people's relationships and their body image?
0: And thinking of the future, how will the online safety bill change how under-18s access pornography? This is a tricky topic, but we can't just pretend it doesn't exist.
1: We'll also give some advice on how to discuss porn in safe and relatable ways with young people and also signpost to some useful resources.
2: I'm Andy Fippin. I'm a professor of digital rights at Bournemouth University, and I spend most of my research career speaking to young people about how technology affects their lives.
1: Welcome Andy. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. This episode is about pornography, so a nice easy topic to discuss, obviously. <laughs> I think a good place to start is probably just for you to, to chat a bit about the work that you've done in this area, specifically around online pornography and young people and, and what your perspective is.
2: Um it's it's an interesting one because um I, I generally don't sort of march into a school and go, right, let's talk about pornography today.
1: That doesn't work then, no?
2: Well, I do know a couple of RSE practitioners that specialise in the area, which is interesting. We might pick up on that a little bit later. But it's something where, through conversations with young people, pornography will inevitably come up. And there is generally a tension between the young people in the room who want to discuss things and ask questions, and the teacher who may or may not be involved in the conversation. Sometimes they join in, sometimes they decide to catch up on their marking at the back of the class. Um, it, it's their choice um, And the tension with, with the teachers thinking oh, There's no way I'm going to talk about this What happens if a parent complains So so you've immediately got That tension As uh, I think I've already said I've been doing this for about 20 years Pornography is still the Big issue that everyone gets A little bit antsy about And a little bit, oh my god, can we really talk about this um, Whereas the reality is It's pretty widespread I can't remember the exact stats from Pornhub Insights. Pornhub Insights is a brilliant website just for looking at statistics around pornography, anyway. But I think it's about 120 million. But maybe not from a, a school
1: computer on the school network. Though, <laughs> no,
2: though, definitely or? not from a school <laughs> computer. But, but, you know, if you want to look at stats around pornography usage and, and absolutely crazy things like um, uh, drop in usage during Eurovision, that's the place to go for it. Would, would, do you know that Malta had the um, biggest drop in usage during Eurovision? Amazing. But, you know, if it, you've got 120 million people per day, using these services and that's just Pornhub and, and their associated services isn't it about time we do talk about these sorts of things I mean I've, I've seen the narrative for a long time now again we just need to stop young people looking at this stuff and then everything will be okay but what happens when you then get to 18 and you've never had any education around this and all of a sudden you've got free reign to look as much content as you like but you've been told up until that point don't look at it it's bad um so you never have any discussions, any awareness or, or ways to express your concerns. Because yes, generally speaking, if you go and speak to a group of young people, and sometimes I will do split groups, so I'll talk to different genders separately, after 10 minutes with lads where they will be giggling and laughing and going, hey, porn, they will still have equally serious questions and things as well, if they're given the opportunity to talk about these things. And I think that's that's probably the, the main thing that comes from my work is, I, as I said, I don't march into a school and go, let's talk porn today, children. But it will come up and they will ask questions. And it's almost like a shock that someone answers them rather than saying, you shouldn't be looking at this, so just stop it, all right?
0: I find that quite interesting because also the way you approach the topic of porn with young people, I feel like it's also very different for boys and girls. Mm-hmm. For boys, I feel like masturbation and pornography you don't really find girls having conversations about these sort of things in their friend groups. And even then, it's still like a, oh, what what do you, do you, do you you, you watch, where do you go and stuff like that? Whereas boys, it's such like an open conversation. So it's a lot (laughs) harder to approach it in a school setting, I guess, when it's mixed classes. I never got like any classes that were like, let's talk about porn. I got one assembly a year in like fifth year that was like, this is why you don't send nude photos because it's bad and it, it was also mainly targeted at girls i think because they were just like it will just like ruin everything it's forever you can't go back it's on the internet kind of sucks to be you once it's out there mm-hmm. and um, that was about as much education to kind of pornography i think i got in high school and it was towards the later years so it was it didn't really do much by that point
2: i'm sort of smiling and laughing because that's uh, an experience echoed across the years um you know, you have a copper coming in going, don't send news, it's illegal, and you'll end up on the sex offender's register and you'll never, ever get a job. So when you then end up with a 14-year-old who is having their images shared across the year group, then they're not going to disclose it to anybody because... They don't
0: want to talk about it because they're so scared.
2: Absolutely, absolutely. I do find that that young men will still have some fairly serious questions once, once they get over the 10 minutes of giggling and, and all that sort of thing as well. But it is a very different dynamic. And I also would reflect on possibly there's more projected shame with um, young women on this sort of thing. You shouldn't be looking at this. hundred percent, hundred percent. It's really kind of weird. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, boys look at it. That's all right. Girls, you shouldn't look at it. Um, mm. but, but also you, I have experienced these really weird conversations in school settings around, well, they shouldn't be looking at it because it's illegal. And you go, no, it's not. They go, it is. So, no, it's illegal for an adult to show a child pornography. It's not illegal for a child to access pornography. I go, oh, does that mean we've got to talk to them about it? Because, <laughs> you know, this punitive measure is a really good way of shutting down any conversation. You know, if you're under 13, we're not going to talk about social media because it's illegal for you to go on it, mm. which again is an interesting conversation. If you go, well, it's illegal for a child to go on social media. I go, yes. I go, is it? Tell me about that law because I'm not aware of that law. Oh, it's, it's, it's safeguard. No, it's not a data protection law. It's illegal for a company to collect data on a child under 13 without parental consent is it and yeah 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 Yeah, this is the thing you know you've gone through a school system i assume where um you've just been told it's illegal Mm. but if you were 11 and went on social media you'd breach the terms and conditions and it would be within the rights of the platform to go, we ain't supporting you because you breach terms and conditions but it is not illegal for an 11 year old to be there it is illegal for the platform to collect that 11 year old's data
0: i didn't know that
2: isn't the law great (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's like similar laws isn't it around you know sort of sale of alcohol and fireworks and knives and cigarettes you know if, if you're yeah. underage and you you can successfully buy them you successfully bought them you haven't broken the law it's the person who sold it to you who's who's uh culpable yeah that does raise an interesting question though so so clearly there's a bit of a in some cases in some schools an understanding or knowledge gap there for for educators so so what would you recommend that that teachers do then if they are planning to to sit and have some of these discussions with their students regardless of their age what what can they do to try and help them understand this area better so that they can they can have this discussion
2: I think for for younger groups you know key stage 2 early key stage 3 and similar you don't march in and have the porn conversation you know I can remember hearing a tale of a teacher once who marched into a class and went we're going to talk about pornography today and the class went oh god no and he went, no, come on. I know, we all look at it. Up. I certainly do. He's <laughs> think, oh, well, that's um, professional suicide, isn't
0: <laughs> No. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So so he, he spent the next 60 minutes having lads going, here, sir, have you seen this? Here, sir, have you seen no. this? No. Yeah, yeah. So no, you don't start from that position. But you can talk about, you know, there is certain content that people might be worried about you seeing. Why do you think they might be worried? What do you think that content might be? Again, reinforcing the narrative, if you see stuff, Accidentally, that you find concerning or upsetting, you can talk to somebody about it. You know, again, because we all folk, folk of my age, we all default to being a parent in these situations. Like I can remember when my son was younger, coming across some semi um, explicit content on the the family PC, panicking and shutting it down. And then when I said, "Well, I saw him do it," I said, "Well, why didn't you talk to me about it, mate?" He went, "Oh, we've been told we get told off if we look at that sort of thing." So then it's immediately, right, I'm going to pop into the school tomorrow. Then. <laughs> um, but it's kind of like, no, you know, I know you weren't looking for it, but, but, you know, those sorts of conversations. When it gets to to older um, uh, young people, then, you know, you can start to have those conversations. But I would say, particularly around something like pornography, you need some senior management support to be able to do this. You don't want to be the the teacher who, with the best of intentions, is trying to provide a more progressive education. And then the parent complains, or worse, and this has happened in some schools that I work with, the parent goes to the Daily Mail. All of a sudden, the school's being doorstepped. So, yeah, I mean, one one thing that I know a lot of schools do is, is bring in external speakers. So they'll work with Brooke or they'll work with independent consultants and things. And that sometimes is a useful starting point. But what I would stress is that lots of young people I speak to go, well, that's great, but we want someone in the school we can talk to about this sort of thing. So having Brooke in once a year and then doing a great collapsed timetable day um, where they're covering lots of different things is great because they can talk about it then. But then what happens when something happens a week later? Well, wait another year, then Brooke will be back in and then you can ask it. So
0: Yeah, it needs to be like a continuous conversation, not just like a yeah. one-time... This is cover all the basics and then use that and go forward in your life. You need like a continuous, open, judgment-free conversation to gain trust and to make people feel comfortable about these sort of things.
2: The comment you made there about judgment-free is something I hear so much from young people. I can remember doing survey work in about 2007 around teen 16, in a time where we had to quantify it because politicians didn't believe it was happening. One of the questions there was, what can adults do to support it? And don't judge came up then. And it's been consistent all the way through. I think as well, it's important that if people are working in this area, they need some training in this area. You know, I I heard of a terrible story a few years ago of a secondary school fairly close to where I live. I live in North Cornwall, um, where a chap who was a geography teacher, so a geography degree, PGCE, they cut the geography A-level, so he got given um, PSHE week one FGM. Now, that's oh just... Oh, my God. Jeez. <laughs> he, was, he was handed a box of resources and told, off you, away you go. My
0: God. Now,
2: now, there are some problems at a national level because the, the steer around RSC and PSHE is still pretty ropey. But, but, you know, that's another thing young people say is that we need to talk to somebody who understands this stuff and doesn't just go, this is terrible or doesn't just go, just don't look at it, that's the end of the conversation, and have judgment-free conversations about it. And, And I'm fond of saying the phrase recently, let's just put our big boy pants on and talk about this stuff, because regardless of policy measures or claims by politicians, for a long time now that we're going to stop young people looking at pornography, I've got news for you lads, you're not going to. Now, I'd much rather young people weren't looking at pornography but they are so why aren't we talking about that and and having a starting point of that conversation you shouldn't be looking at it should you doesn't help anybody
1: this is interface a podcast for educators about digital and online life from the southwest grid for learning we'll be back with our excellent guest in just a minute The Interface podcast is all about keeping children, young people and education communities safe, happy and confident in everything relating to technology and online life.
3: And the other thing to know is that SWGFL, the people behind Interface, have a whole host of support, tools and resources. We also have a number of helplines available. One of these is POSH, the professionals online safety helpline, which is open to any educators and professionals who need support with an online safety issue. Give us a call.
1: Thanks, Jess. And not only that, schools and other organisations can download the Report Harmful Content button to add to their website to support any user over the age of 13 in reporting anything they experience online that they find harmful or worrying.
3: Also, take a look at our 360 degree safe tools. These tools support a comprehensive whole school approach to online safety. There's also Project Evolve, an educational toolkit to support digital competency in children and young people. There is a lot available and it's free.
1: Freezer is always good. And you're right, Jess, it is a lot. And I appreciate it's a lot for you to take in listening like this. So don't worry if you've been scrabbling around for a pen or you're not sure where the pause or rewind buttons are. You can find all of this information online at swgfl.org.uk. And you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at swgfl underscore official.
3: Also, we've put all the links you need in the show notes for the interface series that you'll find in your podcast player.
0: Thanks for sticking with us. This is Ailish Hunter and Gareth Corp.
1: So I guess one of the tricky things is the nature of this content is it sort of bisects several different areas, doesn't it? Because you've got this whole aspect of relationships and healthy relationships. And obviously pornography in many, many cases does not show healthy sexual relationships but then it's also fictitious so maybe it's almost not designed to so then you've got this sort of media literacy type element that comes in haven't you this critical thinking of being able to to separate out the fact that this is fiction and not what happens in real life is that the better approach then maybe rather than trying to charge and say right we're going to talk about online porn is is talking about healthy relationships and talking you know building up media literacy skills is that going to be a better way of sorting it do you think
2: it's certainly a good approach and it it ties in with some of the discussions I've had around, you know, how, how might we tackle pornography in the classroom, get over the hurdle that we're talking about people having sex and, and what is it we're seeing, and what are young people's concerns around pornography. There's a lot of stuff around unrealistic expectations. I'll talk to young men who've got performance anxieties even before they've ever had sex and things, you know, those sorts of conversations. A massive amount of this stuff. If you're looking, you know, I'm being asked so much at the moment, what should we do about Andrew Tate? It's like, well... Don't talk about Andrew Tate, talk about influencers and critical thinking. He's a businessman who's trying to make money by exploiting the vulnerabilities of of people who maybe aren't very happy with their lives. Um, So he's giving them easy answers and saying, if you give me $40 a month, I will give you the answers. So yeah, a lot of it comes back to critical thinking and what is it you're seeing. The Southwest Group for Learning actually do a really good resource called So You Look at Pornography. Which is really good because it's incredibly fact-based. It's almost boring. <laughs> it's kind of like this, this stuff has been going on for a long time. This is nothing new. What you're seeing is a is a film set. Why does pornography exist? Because it's pure capitalism at the end of the day. Why do these sites exist? Because they want money. You know, they are they are selling something. And again, looking at traffic numbers, it's quite popular content, um, and they are providing people with the opportunity to access that content. Now there are a huge amount of complex issues around morality ethics around it, particularly around um, consensual or, or verified content. Those are also really interesting conversations to have. Um, and it's it's an interesting conversation to have with Key Stage 4, Key Stage 5 level. Pornhub pulled 10 million videos a couple of years ago. Now, if you were to believe politicians at the time, they said it's because it was all child abuse material. That is a lie. It wasn't. It was all unverified content. So they were getting a lot of pressure from place from payment providers and similar um, because they were saying, you know, you, you're hosting a lot of non-consensual content, and things. So they went, well, we'll put anything we can't verify. That's a really interesting conversation to have with with older young people about these sorts of things, because again, it's not well known in in popular discourse. Because porn companies are evil, and people who consume pornography are are weak and dirty, and, and you know, those are the common narratives. Um, yet we still have politicians looking at it in parliament. It's weird. But yeah, you can have broader conversations that aren't just focused on what is it you're looking at.
0: So would you say then when to start the conversation and education about porn, would you say like the main focus point is to break down the narrative that porn's just not real? Rather than focusing on the people watching it, you should focus on like the behind the scenes of how it's a set. They're paid actors. It's a contract. It's a company. It's all for money. None of it's real. The storyline is just there because someone's, probably written it down and goes that sounds alright and it's none of it's real mm-hmm. and do you think that should be the kind of the main focus point when starting the conversation with young people about porn I think
2: it's a good starting point because obviously you can do that at a younger age as well and you can talk about certain types of content people might be worried about you seeing and and you know what is that sort of content and why does it exist and applying you know what, what Gareth was saying around you know critical thinking and, and, and media literacy skills as well uh, only Fans is another one that, that's coming up a lot more now and again it's kind of like, what how can we stop our students talking about only fans like well you can't you know if they are under 18 and talking about having an only fans channel that's not going to happen if they're over 18 it's not really any of your business however you might like to have a conversation with them about yes you might there might be someone on tiktok who's saying they're making 50 grand a month on only fans but there are hundreds of hundreds of other people who are making nothing mm. on OnlyFans because it's a business. It's
0: because you need a following first. Yeah. A lot of people forget you need a social media following first before you get in OnlyFans. Because that's the only way to market it and like advertise it is like posting on like your Instagram yeah. and having everyone who follows you then go through the link because and even on Instagram they're cracking down on how much you advertise for OnlyFans as well. Mm-hmm. Because it's such a tricky thing. Cause obviously you don't know how old the people are on Instagram half the time and they're just like, oh, here's my OnlyFans, here's a link, just swipe up and it's easy. It's, it's not as easy as people think.
2: oh I'm really laughing again because um, my, my daughter says that lockdown ruined TikTok. Her rationale being that during lockdown, loads of older people joined TikTok and TikTok has basically now become a, a channel for... Uh, women over 35 to advertise their only fans channels, which I just thought was a wonderful summary from someone who's 18 going, TikTok used to be cool, now it's just full of this stuff. <laughs> which, yeah, it amused me greatly. But, but you know, you can have the same conversations about influencers, going back to the the Andrew Tate thing again. Why is he doing it to make money? How does he make money to give people easy answers? You can... You know, do you want to be in a situation where you've got an OnlyFans channel and you're trying to grow your following so you're interacting more with them they're asking you to do more and more unpleasant things and you going, I have to do this to maintain my follow. You know, it, it's not an easy job. It's not an easy way of making money. And you can talk more broadly about influencers. For everyone that gets a free holiday to Baritius, there's, there's plenty of others who are shamelessly emailing restaurants and going, I've got 5,000 followers on Instagram. Can I have a free meal and take photographs of it? And then sworn at by the restaurant owners and things. So it's, you know, it's... There is a similar conversation to be had there, regardless of whether it's about sexual content or, or you know, I want to become an influencer or, or, or Andrew Tate or similar.
1: I think that that raises an interesting point there, with both of you just talking about obviously content on TikTok. Is the fact that you know there also needs to be that acknowledgement and understanding that that porn doesn't just sit on porn sites like Pornhub and and obviously paid subscription services and all the rest of it it's out there on social media as well everywhere yeah and there was obviously there was that children's commissioner for england report that was published at the end of january 2023 that suggested that that twitter was the most common place that young people were were finding pornographic content them on mainstream online porn sites and then instagram and then snapchat i think it was in that in that order so what else then can educators do about that because it's one thing to talk about like the porn industry and and all the porn that's kind of being generated out of that industry and it is very much a business and you could talk about it in those terms but there is an increase in a lot of self-generated pornography that adults are making consensually and putting out their own Pornhub and other places as well it might be only fans to try and make money it might just be because they they have it as a general interest how how do you talk about that that side of it, because then that business model kind of side might fall away a bit. It might just be it's, it's a hobby between two adults. <laughs> how, how do you kind of tackle that side of it?
2: Talk about it just like you said. You know, talk about the different ways. You know, <laughs> why would somebody do this? You know, what, are they doing it for, for thrills and arousal? Or are they doing it to, to build a following again? You know, absolutely. There's a lot more self produced stuff. But I think it, it comes back to um, the question of you're not going to prevent this content from ever being seen. So you need to have these conversations. We also need some some honest, non-pearl-clutchy conversations about the influence of pornography. If it was truly harmful, given the massive increase in availability of pornography over the last 10 years, and if we have a clear causation between accessing pornography and harmful sexual behavior, we would have seen a massive increase in sexual crime in this time. We haven't. You know, yes, you, you can say, you know, I saw some research from someone who works at, at sarc a while ago, she was working with about 15 young men, all of whom had exhibited harmful sexual behaviours, all of whom consumed pornography. And she was saying, therefore, pornography has driven them to, to exhibit harmful sexual behaviours. And Being the curmudgeonly old sod I am, I went, yes, that's great. However, I could probably find you 15 other teenage young men who consume pornography who aren't exhibiting harmful sexual behaviours. So, you know, let's dial it down a bit. There are clear concerns. I don't want young people looking at pornography, but they are. Let's take an evidence based view of this sort of thing again. You know, there is some very concerning rhetoric going around at the moment about again, it it feeds into shame. You shouldn't be looking at this because people who look at this will go on to commit sexual crimes. Yes, some will. Many, many, many others will not. So is pornography the causation? Let's let's explore the more complex variables in society instead.
1: And that's that's the thing, isn't it? It's like all these issues and all these issues that we face online is that there's no clear cause and effect there are There are different young people who may be more vulnerable to this, so obviously we we have some evidence don't we that um young people with vulnerabilities particularly s e n d and uh those who have been in the care system might be more likely to to view pornography than you know some of their peers, but again, that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to come to harm it doesn't mean they're going to be affected by it, it doesn't mean they're then going to go on to commit any harmful behavior it's it's always far more complicated than that, isn't it? And it's, um, yeah. it's trying to sort of find a way of, of teasing that apart, which, which again, I guess in the classroom is a very hard discussion to have because mm-hmm. you've got so many different threads coming in at a different time. And, and I think that's that point about, you know, you need someone who's in the classroom regularly with young people talking about this and all aspects of, of digital life mm-hmm. rather than someone, someone dropping in and doing some fantastic work about porn on one day and then going away and never coming back again.
0: Yeah. I think I'd much rather prefer having this conversation in a school setting than at home. I feel like in school, once you start a conversation, I guess if, like you said, Andy, when you split up groups and have like maybe just a group of girls, like you can, you feel more comfortable to have a conversation in like a smaller group first. And you can also look to your peers to see if someone agrees, disagrees, or they're like, no, I have a similar I feel the same as you, Was I couldn't, I don't know if I could have that conversation with like me opposite just my parents and they're going, so you might look at this, you might look at that. This is you sh- like, it's all okay. And I'm like, oh, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> whereas in a school setting, I definitely feel like you you can look around at your friends and peers around you and you can go, they feel the exact same. So like, it's actually not as bad or as shameful as I thought. I don't know how to explain it, but it's a lot easier in like a, a, a school setting. It's a safer space. Yeah, with more people to like back you up, I guess, rather than just like one-on-one with your parents. And you're like, okay, I don't want to talk about this in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> you're making me more uncomfortable. Yeah.
1: It's like a time when you sit down for the first time, watch a film with your parents, and then a sex scene comes oh. up halfway through, and you sit there and squirm in the seat for, for however long the scene lasts. I yeah. guess the other thing, that's a really good point, Ash, because I guess the other thing is that for some families, you know, cultural differences come into play here where actually it would be incredibly difficult for a young person Mm -hmm. to sit down with their parents and be able to even you know broach the subject at all whereas schools hopefully might offer that that sort of that more open environment they could have this discussion with others
0: definitely
2: it's really interesting that when i talk to young people the school culture is very very evident so i'll go into one school i've been doing some work around harmful sexual behaviors recently so we've been working with young people in different schools looking at resources and seeing how we might better support them. And in some schools when we go who would you talk about here about it they will immediately reel off five or six members of staff. In other schools they go no one so well, why not? Oh cuz they don't they don't care about us here. So I think you know going back to the non-judgmental safe space discussions with supportive and trained people is really really important because if you have a punitive disciplinarian kind of culture across the school then you're less likely to have a situation where a young person will disclose concern we're doing a lot of work with a college where they've introduced dedicated pastoral tutors it's a sixth form fe college so everyone's over 16 and they used to deliver pshe and tutor time across the entire staff base and they've changed it now so they have eight dedicated pastoral tutors and they're noticing an increase in disclosures and the first comment was this is worrying i was like this isn't worrying. This is great because what you're doing is providing a environment where lots of young people are confident that if they express concern, they're going to get support from it. And you know, I've been working with young people at that college recently, and they are like, "Yes, I know exactly who I can talk to here about it. It might not be my tutor, but I now I can go to a personal tutor or student services are really good." And things. So, <laughs> so it's not just about delivering the education; it's providing an environment where, because undoubtedly there will be an issue where a young person has seen some content they found obsessing or they've taken an image and they're sharing it around you want to provide the environment where they get support and they're not told you shouldn't have done that or well your life's over now isn't it (laughs) (laughs) because because actually you know the 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 horrible tired educational message around once it's online is always online that's not necessarily the case if websites are sharing what is illegal content intimate images of children they will take it down very quickly if they are made aware of it so having the message well that's it that's it forget it you'll never get a job in teaching <laughs> it's, it's really really counterproductive
1: yeah and and obviously alongside that I, I believe childline is still running their service where you can self report your needs to them uh-huh. and then they pass it on to our partners at the internet watch foundation for removal because as you rightly said you know self generated content involving under 18s is is illegal content and so the platforms will respond once they're aware yeah of what it is and where it is usually
0: this information was helpful when i was at school because again we just got the narrative once it's out there it's out there it's on the internet forever you better hope no one searches your name when you apply for a job because your nudes will show up on google and we never were once told Childline, this helpline this is what you can actually do to get it removed off of if it's on websites never told any of this so this is actually quite helpful to know
2: I think your experience is the the more usual one to be honest it's it's almost easier to go just don't do it rather than going if this happens you know it's a bit like don't send news it's illegal well yes it is but that's based on a piece of legislation from 1978 that was created to stop young people being exploited in the manufacture of pornography by adults and at no point in those political debates because I've read them um did anyone go yeah but what happens when the taker of the image is also a young person and they're sending because no one ever entertained those sorts of things so, so yeah, I, I, it, it's it's easier to just go, don't do it, but it's not helpful. And, you know, as I've said to a lot of schools, if if you are going to go down the legal route, be honest about what that legal route is, because it's way more complicated than it's illegal, you shouldn't do it. Because CPS will say that it's really in the public interest to take, you know, it depends on the, the police who, who visit school and things. There are so many factors there, so... So be honest about this stuff rather than just going, it's illegal, I I, I saw someone talk about it 10 years ago.
0: Mm. We've only got time for one more question, Andy, and just want to know what is the possible impacts of the online safety bill with the age verification and how that could or could not impact um, young people's behaviour in pornography?
2: I'm mindful we don't have much time left because I could talk about this for another hour. Um, It's going to have minimal impact, basically, um, we've, we've brought in age verification legislation before, and then it's been taken back because it doesn't work. There are some fundamental challenges in, in verifying age in the UK and that we don't have an ID card and there's lots of workarounds as well. So the idea that we're going to bring in some legislation that says to porn sites that they have to put age verification on, and therefore we don't have to worry about young people looking at pornography anymore is so naive. It makes me want to weep. Um, you know, and, and it ties back into this narrative of we've just got to stop them doing it and then we don't have to talk to them about it. It's really patronizing and insulting to young people to say that because you know, it's legislation that's only going to be in the UK. So if you, for example, use a VPN, then the porn site's not gonna know you're from the UK, so it's not gonna bring up the age verification stuff. What happens if someone's parent leaves the porn site logged in and then all of a sudden Someone's downloading terabytes worth of pornography onto USB sticks to share with oh, their mates and things. As well, there, there's so many different ways to access pornography that, that this prohibitive, bizarre piece of legislation, which basically waggles the finger at platforms that goes, just just all stop everything, just stop it because you've got to, because otherwise you're bad. Whereas we know in safeguarding that multi-stakeholder approaches work so much better so it'll give me stuff to write about Um, i'm sure i'll write a book in about five years it basically says told you so but um you know i i think if if we are thinking well once the online safety bill comes in we won't have to have these conversations anymore first of all we're being quite naive and secondly that's really quite patronizing to young people because they deserve to have education around these areas rather than just being told if you look at this you're bad
1: and i guess that that really highlights doesn't it then the importance of what we've chatted about throughout this uh, discussion is schools need to take that part in talking to their their students about this absolutely. and having these open discussions because at the end of the day where would you rather that these children and young people get their their answers about relationships and sexual relationships from porn mm-hmm. or from you yeah and i guess i guess that's the difference absolutely great andy thank you so much for sharing all your your thoughts and your perspective on this really interesting to hear and hopefully some really useful stuff for anyone listening as well so thank you so much for joining us
2: pleasure
0: god that was quite the discussion um i don't know about you that was a lot to take on all at once but i found it quite helpful i found it quite interesting hearing about all the different stuff i wish i'd known at school
1: yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and, you know, I'm a bit older than you, so stuff I wish I'd known at school as well. Um, but yeah, it, it shows, doesn't it, what a complex area this is and, you know, the importance of of having this discussion as well, but sort of treading carefully yeah. around these kind of issues so that you can be open and you can really support children and young people. And yeah, I, I think it just sort of really highlighted to me it's a really important thing that we need to be talking about with young people. They clearly have questions.
0: And it's been around for so long. It's not just my generation kind of issue it's been around for so much longer than we thought but it's just too taboo to talk about so it's just kind of swept under the rug a bit don't really want to talk about too scary i
1: i kind of saw it as a one of those classic examples that i often talk about teachers of the fact that sometimes with online safety things it's it's about the tech and of course, online porn is online, so there's tech involved. But actually, it's about it's about people and it's about relationships and it's about understanding people. Mm. Um, and I think porn is very much one of those kind of issues. You need to kind of understand the nature of it and why people are involved in it, why people look at it, what people get out of it. And I think if you kind of do that and sort of demystify it, yeah. sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to to make decisions around it for yourself as a as an individual that are going to help keep you and others safe.
0: Definitely, yeah one of the key takeaways I take from this is just judgment free is the best way to go forward with these discussions. It's the kind of, it's the foundation of it all. You can't talk about these things if you don't have trust and people know that you aren't going to be judged if you talk about these things openly, especially.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think, yeah, it's easy to say have open discussions, but that, that takes work to get there, doesn't it? Mm. So there's there's clearly, you need to set out your stool in the right way in your school to be able to do that and, you know, to kind of open up these areas of discussion and get the young people to have faith that they can talk to you about this as well and that you're not going to, as you said, you're not going to make those judgments. I, I guess the other thing for me is the real importance about not kind of going rogue in this area, because you might feel really passionate about it. You think, oh my God, you know, all my students are looking at porn. There's an issue I need to deal with. I need to have a chat about this right, you know, in the next tutor session tomorrow or things like that, which I think sometimes can do more harm than good if you just kind of dive in without really sort of dipping your toe in the water and understanding what, what the issue is first. So so my advice would be kind of, if you're going to talk about these things and you really feel you need to talk about it with with your students is... Go and talk to senior leadership first, get their support, understand how it fits in with your safeguarding approach, understand who else in the school might be doing these kind of things as well. But, you know, sort of a joined up team approach is probably the best way of doing
0: this. And um, Gareth, do SWGFL have any kind of resources for teachers around this topic?
1: They do indeed. Thank you for asking that question, Eilish. Yeah, so there is a resource for secondary schools called Let's Talk About Porn, which is aimed at sort of Key Stage 3, Key Stage 4, uh, as a way into having some of those those tricky discussions that we mentioned throughout our discussion with Andy. So, so that's a good starting point. Uh, there's loads of other stuff out there. So our partners at, at ChildNet, as part of the UK Safer Internet Centre, have got some great resources around pornography as well on their website. So, there's lots of things out there that can help you to have these conversations. I really hope this episode of Interface has been useful for you. Thank you so much for being with us. And remember, you always find links in the show notes of these episodes to help you learn more about each topic.
0: Follow Interface on your favourite podcast app so episodes are automatically downloaded to your device when they're released.
1: And we need your help. The more people that listen to Interface, the more chance we've got of being able to keep sharing the advice and support as we do. So please do recommend us to a friend or fellow teacher.
0: And you can find us on social media at SWGFL official on both Twitter and Instagram. Interface is a podcast series from SWGFL, part of the UK Safer Internet Centre.
1: This is Gareth Court with Ailish Hunter. Interface is produced by Karis Wall, with sound design by Joel Cox and original music from Alex Fraser. It's a Bespoken Media production.
0: Produced by the Spoken Media.